following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. That's your blessing. You know, um, love is contagious. I, I think it is. I, I think generosity is contagious. I think mercy is contagious. I think kindness, kindness can be contagious. Um, and, and as we demonstrate these things in authenticity, um, because we have been primary recipients of, thing, of, 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 of each and every one of those in lavish and generous ways, um, this, this is how we shine a light. Do you know that light, light overcame darkness in a tomb in Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago? That, and that's what light does. Light, light overcomes, tells darkness, you got to go uh, because I'm here. And, uh, and, and that's, that's what he's done. When, when we have come to receive Christ as Lord and Savior and he has put his seal upon us, his Holy Spirit, light, light enters into our darkness and remains present and powerful in order to do the finishing work of sanctif- making us like him, like him. And his truth continues to, to resonate with our hearts and change our... So my, my concern is that we would celebrate the cross and the resurrection one day a year. Wouldn't that be sad? Wouldn't that be sad for, for just our expression of faith and, and for the church's uh, triumph and glory um, to, to proclaim Christ's victory and resurrection uh, but once a year, but, but our lives are meant to declare that every day by the way that we turn our hope, face our conflict, deal with our problems, overcome our anxiety, and, uh, and put our hope and trust in him in the midst of the, the darkness. We are called because of the life of Christ, the present sealed work of the Holy Spirit in us, which is a gift that is given to us when we put our faith and trust in him as Lord and we repent and turn from our way and acknowledge that he's in charge, which is the truth anyway. And, uh, and we just put our confidence in the cross and in Christ. So every Saturday morning, I have the privilege of meeting with, uh, with three of my brothers. And, uh, and John, Amir, and Mike and I get together around uh, the, the word. And uh, so going into, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's called Discipleship Essentials. And so there's thematic elements that we look at prayer, you know, other things. And, you know, the, the Saturday that, uh, so we celebrated Good Friday uh, last Friday, not Friday, but Friday before. And do you know what the topic was for our Bible study that, you know, this, is, this was all set in motion a while back. Um, it was week number nine. And uh, the topic for that, for that week was sin, right? And, uh, and so Saturday of, of Easter week, uh, when we had just faced and talked and, and, uh, and worshiped on Good Friday, we got up early Saturday morning and started talking about like the, you know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And just talking about like sin and its impact and, and how desperate we are for a savior um, and how, how destructive sin can be and how insidious and, and deceptive sin can be, but yet um, there's a victor uh, that's coming uh, in, in, in the context of that weekend. And so we, um, you know, I, I don't forecast for what the next theme is until I get into the next week. And so we celebrate Easter. And uh, what would be ideal? What would be just ideal for the next week's theme? Right? Next week, we, we talk about grace. How good is that? How good is that to kind of... Uh, to kind of, you know, walk us through that, that wonderful, because I don't know about you, but I, I tend to grieve going into Good Friday. I, 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 because I've done it for so long and dig into kind of what the context of Good Friday is, is all about. And, and it's, a, it's an act of remembrance, right? We should do that. But I just grieve what Christ had to endure when you look at the cup of wrath and realize, like, that's what sin deserved. Just want you to take that in for a moment. That that what, everything that Christ went through, including the, the emotional and relational content of that, because sometimes we just look at the pain and agony, but, you know, he faced betrayal and denial, um, rejection from the very ones that he was coming to save, 
does that hurt? And, and he went through all of that because that's what, that's what the wages of sin is. That's what it demands. And, 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 and how do we come to know love that weekend too, that through the experience that we continue to celebrate almost 2,000 years later because it's so rich and profound and real is because like love was demonstrated. Love was articulated. Love, love made himself known to us in ways that were so practical and so necessary. We were so desperate to be healed and we didn't even know it because we were, we were at odds with the one that was coming to accomplish that on our behalf in order to demonstrate the Father's love and to relieve us of a debt that we could never, ever pay. So we're, we're diving back into Luke here but before we do, because we, you know, we, we just, chapter and verse, we're just moving through the gospel of Luke. So that could put us in any sort of thematical element at any point in time because we're just following the chronology there and we enter back in. But before we do, I just want to share with you one of the things that we discussed yesterday in this grace theme that we looked at uh, uh, in our discipleship group. And I want to remind you of these words. If, if, uh, if you want to grab your Bibles, great. Um, we are going to be in, uh, in Romans chapter 5 for just a moment. Um, little, uh, little bonus here. You guys up for bonus this morning? Okay, good, good. A little extra for free. Um, so this, this is how it goes. Uh, Romans 5, verse 6. Please take this in. I, I think there's eight points here um, that are so rich so rich with content that, um, that sometimes we miss. And, and, you know, there's a danger in familiarity because it breeds contempt. Like it, after a while, like we can get callous to just the richness of something that is so rich and profound and stated so often. But, but let's not miss this. So it starts off like this. For while we were still weak. I like what the NIV says. For while we were still powerless. Powerless. While we were in a weakened frail, broken, separated. That's what death, spiritual death is. It's separation from life himself. While we were still weak, at the right time. Don't you like that? At the, 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 the time that God appointed for the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb, the lamb of God to come that would take away the sins of the world at just the right time. The author had already laid this out in the, in, the, in, the, in the providence of his masterful purpose before the foundations of the earth Christ was crucified, meaning that this was not a response or a reaction even to man's fall, but this was, this was redemption planned knowing our, our pursuits, our hearts, our need. So at the right time, Christ died for, for who? For the ungodly. Do you know that was you and I? Like we were the powerless. We were the ungodly. We were the ones that, 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 that lacked God. We were ungodded. We needed God. We needed him to come and invade our hearts, our lives, our space. And do you know that's what he did? Like that's what he did. He left a tomb and filled our hearts. Like he says, it's better that I go that he might come, talking about the Holy Spirit. And then he poured his, it says he poured out his spirit on us. And filled us with heaven, with the kingdom of heaven, with, with the heaven himself became, took up residence in us. In, and, and then these statements are made. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in, in you. But at, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. But God, and this is, this is it, but God the Father shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Now this text goes this way. Like if that was his heart and posture and disposition and pursuit and intentionality when we were ungodly, uh, unreceptive, um, weak and powerless, broken and enemies of God. Like now that we're, you ever thought like this is what it's saying here later. It's saying that when we're, 
when we're reconciled to him, purchased, made his own, uh, relieved of our sin debt, but declared justified, not guilty forever, like how much more? How much more does, does that have impact in our relationship with him? How much more does, does I mean, let, let me ask you do, do you, do you have a little bit more of, a, of a, a desire to love and to care and to provide for, for someone that, is, that you're intimately in love with or your enemy? But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't when we, were, we merited any affection or, or love or, 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 or pursuit. Like, it was when we were in, in such, we, we, you know, God knew that he could count on us to kill his son. That's what he knew he could count on humanity to do. He, he, we have parables that, that Jesus declares that, 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 that that's how it's going to go down. Tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Verse 9 says, Since therefore... Now, I love the tense of Scripture, like past, present, future, like tense. Like, since therefore we have been, this is which tense? Past, right? So therefore, since therefore, now Paul's reminding us of the cross, reminding us not of what we've done, but what he's done. And he says, since therefore we have been justified by his blood. Now, to to contemporary years, that just seems kind of foreign. But when we understand the sacrificial system and the necessity for blood to be shed, for, for, for sins to be forgiven, we understand that there needed to be a lamb for every sin. That life had to, life had to be taken in order for life to be restored. And, and, and this was all done in temporary ways until the permanent one, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, came to rescue us back through his blood. He was, he was willing to shed like Therefore, we have been justified. You know that, that word means declared by the only throne and, and judge that matters. Can, can you take this in this morning? Declared never guilty again. Now, you know, I believe there's, there's dozens of people here that need to hear that this morning. I think you need to hear the good gospel today. That's really good news. Like it's the best news the world's ever heard. Right? The best news the world's ever heard is that, is that you are justified simply because of what Christ did, not for what you've done. Right? And, and we have been, he's talking to the saint here, he's talking to uh, a, a group of, of, of Christians in Rome that he's never even met. And he's reminding them that you have been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from what? The wrath of God. See, like what we just celebrated is that that wrath has been quenched. And look, let's, let's not miss this because we, if we read the Old Testament, it's, it's in our face. It's there. Like, like God's wrath demanded, right? Demanded to be satisfied, right? Because he's just. But he's so good that he's the one that's willing to do the justifying work that no one else can do. Jesus races to, to, the, to pay the debt that we owed, that each one of us owed. And he was willing to do that. Like, he raced to that opportunity. More shall we be saved by him from, from the wrath of God. That, that's been satisfied. Is that good news this morning? Is that good? I mean, can you put your trust in him? I mean, do, do you know that he loves you? Just this is supposed to demonstrate God, the Father's love. For if while we were, were enemies, as I mentioned, we were reconciled, please don't miss that word. That's past tense too. We, you've been, can I tell you this morning, you've been reconciled. You've been reconciled. We, this, we're actually told this in the beginning of this same chapter. It, it, we're told that, that because of Christ's work, we're justified and now we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the opening part of this chapter says. We were enemies, were enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
So here's what we need to hear. In the, that, that, that's where I'm going to finish that, that portion before we dive into our text is, is, do you know today on the other side of an empty tomb that you are being saved by his life? Because the New Testament speaks of salvation as being, being justification, sanctification, glorification. Big words to mean this. We, we've been saved. We're actually being saved by the work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word, when it's, when, when it's applied to our lives, we're, we're literally being saved from our sin and selfishness. And like we're, we're, being, we're being made into what we are. We're being shown the goodness of God and how, 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 how sufficient the cross is and how great his mercy is. And how, aren't you growing to know how, how much he loves you? Like, isn't that a, aren't you continuing to be saved by just the reality of how amazing the cross is because every time we fall short, he's right there to pick you up? I mean, every, is it every time that he's willing to reconcile you? Is, is the cross big enough to overcome every single fault and failure that you've ever made, are making and will make? Is, 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 it, is that possible? No, that, 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 that's the reality that's the declaration of the cross. That's, that's what the cross is screaming good news to the humanity is. You've been saved from all your sin. Why would God do that? Why would he, Jesus do that? Why would he condescend from heaven to, to hell for us? Because that's what love does. That's what love does. And, it, and he wanted you to know it. He wanted you to have experience in it. He wanted you to, to, then he wanted you to replicate it. He wanted you to emulate it. He wanted you to demonstrate it. He wanted you to represent it. Be imitators of God, therefore, and as dearly loved children and live a life of love. Do you know how we do that? We do that by walking in the reconciliation that's been purchased for us and inviting others into that same glorious, God is still adopting children, people. Beloved, do you know that? That he is, he's, he's, he's encouraged you to go out there and invite people to a party and the celebration of that party is you're home, you're back, you're reconciled, you're loved, you're relieved of a debt that, that separated you from me and now we are intimate. And that's what the cross did. Just a little bonus. Um, so let, let's, let's, go, <laughs> let's go to Luke 17, 1 to 4. So we have, we have the sin, sin. This is where we pick back up in the text, ironically. Is that we're told in this text that like temptation is going to be a part of the narrow road. Have you experienced that? Like temptation is common to man. Like, but, but temptation isn't sin. Jesus was tempted and yet was without sin. Please understand that Jesus was clothed in skin, flesh, right? He didn't have a, the seed of Adam, a sinful nature, but he had the nature that we have. So he tasted, he experienced, he tired, he felt, he hurt, he cried, right? He knows, he, he's able to, 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 to be empathetic with us and sympathetic with us. Let's read the passage. It says, And he, being Jesus, said to his disciples, his students, those that would emulate his ministry and follow him in what he would do and become like him. Jesus says this, Temptations to sin are sure to come. Why would he say that? Like, he's preparing them, right? He's, he, does Jesus pull punches? In this world you will be hated. I mean, like, I think he, he totally prepares us. We, we want to hear all the, the flowery stuff, but let's, be, let's, let's be, be clear. Like He's telling us what to expect, that this, th th this narrow path is going to be riddled with temptation. And then he tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from. So it says temptation to sin are surely are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than, for, than, than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention 
to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. There's a lot here in this small context. And I, I want to unpack it starting in the first two verses. And he said to his disciples, temptation to sin are sure to come. Let's make sure that we have that as a part of our expectations that Jesus faithfully told us about when walking the Christian life. They're sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. The, the first thing we might think is he's talking about the devil, but he's not. He's talking about the, the one that would choose to be an instrument of temptation in another person's life. Someone that would tempt others to disobey God, to seek sin. Uh, the context here in Matthew, later on, he, he, he has this, these same words, different moment, but same words, and, and he's got children around him, and he's talking about, this is the type of faith you need to have. But then he says, don't ever cause one of these little guys to stumble, because it's better. It, it would be better for you if you had a millstone, which we'll talk about in a minute, tied around your neck and sunk in the deepest of seas. That would be, that would be a better scenario than facing uh, a God that feels th th this severity here. And please understand, when he's talking about little ones, he had, the, the category is broader than we think. It means young believers too, irrelevant of age, because they're so susceptible, right, to, to, to doctrine, direction, guidance. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him, better for him, if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. You know what comes to mind is parents. What parent doesn't want to, or grandparent, right, Dagmar? Like, wouldn't want to, like, don't you want to guard the heart and mind of, your, of a child, right? You don't, you don't want them to, to experience temptation to, to sin. You know that they, they have a nature that kind of is prone to those, to those moments. And so you, you, you protect them, right, from, from these moments. You, you don't want them in context where, where, they, where they're going to be susceptible to, to things that would cause them to harm and hurt and, 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 and destruction in character and perception. How much, you know, Jesus said, though you were evil, good fathers, you know how to good give good gifts. How much more does my heavenly father, right? Don't you think God has even a, a greater, like the, the severity of this statement. Like it's better if you have, uh, you know what a millstone is? It's what they would grind out wheat or grain. Like it, it was this big, huge, giant, round stone that was pulled by a mule or an ox. And, uh, and I mean, he's describing death by drowning here. Um. And so, like, this is, this is, the severity of this is intense. This, this is a stern warning against causing others to fall and unforgiveness. Now, if you, if you dive into this richly and you, and you really, when you come to the end of this, one of the things that I, I believe the Lord Jesus wants us to hear is, is that one of the ways that we, because you might say, I, man, I, I, don't, I don't lead children astray like that, like, you kidding me? That's terrible. Who would do that? What a terrible person do that, right? And and uh, but the truth is, you know, one of the things he's saying is when when you don't demonstrate grace, mercy, forgiveness, when when you demonstrate judgment, that somehow that is triumphs over mercy when that's not the case, but mercy triumphs over judgment, that you are in in fact leading that that little one astray. Does that make sense? I hope that's clicking. Like, okay, so you, you might not put unforgiveness in the category of sin, but it is. If you don't forgive, let, let, me, let me read Ephesians for us. And, and just so we have a standard of what, of what forgiveness looks like as far as our expression, because, I mean, it's supposed to mirror God's forgiveness in your life. Right? You know, like, it's, it's almost like this. The way that you forgive others is an indicator of your understanding of how much you've been forgiven, 
or how God forgives you. Like you get to put on display the way that you understand God's mercy and grace and forgiveness by the way that you forgive others. Does that make sense? Like we love because we've been loved, right? Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, live a life of love. Well, do you, do you think, I, I, I believe, do you think that forgiveness is one of the greatest expressions of love? Did we not just read it? For God demonstrated his very own love for us in this while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Forgiveness. But listen to what it says. This is Ephesians 4.32. Last verse in that chapter, it says this, but be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Be kind to one another. Can we just let that sink? Be kind. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I don't think the standard gets any higher than that. Now look, we're going to fall short. I'm just going to say like every command that God gives us requires the work of the Holy Spirit to get it done. It's not hard, it's impossible, but what's impossible for man is, is possible with God. What I'm saying is, is forgiveness the way that we're supposed to forgive? Okay, let me ask a question. When, when you go to God, right, and I, I look around this room with people that understand the grace of God, we celebrate communion, we just got on the other side of Easter, like, when, when you go to God and you sincerely ask him to forgive you of something in your own mind that's heinous, does he do it? Hello? Does he do it? Every time? Why? Because he loves you. Because he's faithful. Because that's who he is. He's demonstrating his character. He's showing us who he is. Right? And, and we're, we're told in the second chapter of Romans, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, it's your kindness, Lord, right, that leads us to what? Repentance, right? Because we've come to know that your kindness doesn't have limits and that Jesus paid, paid it in full so that it satisfies every day. And so what's required of us? What's required of us? that we would come and we would acknowledge our sin. We would say, Father, I'm, I'm so sorry. I mourn, I mourn what I've done because I knew this, this, this is what put Christ on the cross. I mourn that. I haven't broken a commandment, I've broken a heart. And so, Father, would you forgive me? But isn't it, isn't it good to know, Saint, isn't it good to know this morning, beloved, that when you ask the Lord for that, you know that you know that you know that it's, it was already extended before you asked, but he still wants us to ask. You have not because you ask not. So let me ask you, is that how your forgiveness works? Are your mercies new every morning? Does your grace abound beyond uh, the seven times that that person does something that infuriates and hurts you in one day? Temptation is a common and predictable experience is what Jesus says here. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Jerry loves this verse. I, 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 he could quote it, but I'll read it. So I want to put any pressure on you, brother. Um, no temptation. No temptation. So there's no limits here. This, there's not a temptation out there. No temptation has overcome or overtaken you that is not common to man. Right? This is what Jesus is saying there. God is faithful. That's that's the quality. That's what we need to hear. Like God is faithful and he will not let us be tempted beyond your ability to abstain, right? But with the temptation, and keep in mind, James tells us he doesn't tempt. He tests, but he doesn't tempt. So we know who's involved here and he uses instruments so that we should never be. But, but with the temptation, he, God our Father, will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So as Jerry would often say, you got to be looking for that door, right? And what did Jesus say? I am the door, I'm the gate, I'm the way, the truth. And He's the way, right? In, the most, in those temptations, what we've got to do is we've got to turn to his word. We've got to hide that word in our heart, whatever that, that sin is that continues to, to trip you up, the sin that so easily entangles. Like, we've we got to run the race with perseverance. And the way we do that is by 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Consider him so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. That's because we can, we can get discouraged in this, in this pattern of sin, but, 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 but knowing, having great confidence that, that his, his mercy abounds. Where, grace, where, where sin abound, his, his grace abound even more, right? We're told that, right? So our question is, and what Jesus is helping us to state here is, does your mercy abound, does your grace abound more when sin begins to be prevalent? When, when others harm you, when there's opportunity for forgiveness. Because we can be a stumbling block by offering judgment rather than forgiveness. Does that ever cause anybody to stumble? Hello? Does the church have a reputation that's sad in that regard? And so, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond, what you're, beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Will you, let's look for that. Like, let's look for that. Let's, not, let's make sure that we're not putting our eyes on things that, that are, that are, that are going to lead us astray and cause us to fall and fail. The Lord is not talking about the devil here, as I mentioned. Don't be an instrument of temptation. That's what he's saying. Don't be an instrument of temptation in other people's lives. And we can do this benignly. We can do this subtly by just actually not living a life that's worthy of the calling, like being a bad example, right? I mean, it's, we're not literally ask, enticing, but our lives are inviting by example. Oh, is that what a Christian's supposed to be like? Is that what a Christian's, is that how we're supposed to live? Don't be a bad example. This is what he's saying to his future leaders, those that would carry the gospel forward. Don't be a bad example. The consequences are severe. That's what he's stating here. This is a challenging statement to parents for sure. Anybody, I look around the room, I know you, there are people here with authority that have classrooms like Mr. Katero does. You know, that, that you know, often people don't care what you have to say until they, they know you care about them or, or like, like, and what we do in moderation, they will do in excess. So like, you know, we, we have to be careful about our example. We must be stewards. We must steward our influence well. And as he says here, be watchful of who? Here's, here's why Jesus says that. Our tendency is we, we, we want to be watchful of, see what he's going to do. I wonder, how, man, they, they're really not being a good example. He says, keep watch of yourselves, right? Before you start rebuking anybody else, you better take a very hard look at you, right? And then we're told, then you might be able to be an instrument of cleansing. Matthew 18, five through nine has uh, a similar scenario. Jesus says, states these words and then goes on to state further words. He says this, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptation, for temptation to sin. And then an interesting statement here that we don't have time to unpack today, but it, it actually answers the question, why was there a tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden? This is, what, this is what Jesus says. I, I, I don't even know if I could ever teach this. I don't know. But, but the Holy Spirit knows, for it is necessary that temptation come. Think about that. It's necessary from God's perspective. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot, this is where he goes on in this, this vein, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And before we continue on in this mutilating moment, um, I want to say that he's not being literal here. Okay, he is, this is hyperbole, but it is. It, listen, would, would cutting your foot or hand off be painful? Right? Uh, would gouging your eye out be a painful experience? Right? Would, there, would it cause great uh, need for recovery? Right? But here's the thing. What if, your, what if your eye had cancer in it that could go to the rest of your body? 
What if your foot was filled with cancer that could potentially, I mean, why, why do they sometimes amputate folks' diabetes, you know, those, because it, it, could, it could move to different, right? If your eye causes you to sing, gouge it. If your hand causes you to sing, cut it off. Like he's, he's talking about going to extreme measures because sin has that, dev, like we don't realize how devastating sin is on, on, human, on us, on, on all of it, right? He says, and if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. But, if, but it is better for you to enter life, and this is not saying... Uh, some poor theology here that I've heard, but this doesn't mean, listen, you get a glorified body. This one gets traded out, okay? So like, it's talking about at the moment you enter in, you might be lame, right? But that's better than going to, to hell with, with your hands and feet and, and eyes, right? Um, uh, cut it off and throw it away. But it is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet and to be thrown into the eternal fire, eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell, the, the hell, to the hell of fire. Cutting things and people out of our lives are painful. Now let me give a caveat here. This is not a reason for you to say, yeah, I'm done with my spouse. I heard it. I heard the message this morning. It's time to cut this thing out. Like this does not go along with covenant relationships, including the body of Christ. Okay, but there, there are relationships that, are, that, that can cause, I mean, he's saying people can be instruments of temptation. You might have a social group that always seems to bring you down into addiction. Uh, they, they always seem to kind of, you know, the common denominator is drugs and alcohol. Or, it's a, it's a, or you're in a relationship that has been conditioned sexually that is, you know, obviously leading you to sin. And, uh, and so, but the idea here is, is you're, making dra- you're taking drastic measures that possibly will be painful and require recovery, right? Uh, loss, for sure, in order to, to do something that is so dire and so necessary, and so my question is, are there things or people that cause you to sin? I mean, the truth is it's our hearts, right? I mean, that's the bigger culprit. And we're told that, that what Christ did on the cross is he circumcised our hearts, meaning he cut, he cut away the flesh. No longer are we, are we chained to it. But it still has a voice, this, this dying voice. We do what we don't want to do, even though what we do, like it's, you know, but, but thanks be to God. I, I mean, I want to make sure we make that point. But Jesus is clearly telling us that, that we, have, we have a role here. I want to show you um, a clip this morning, and I'm not going to even front, front load it. I just, let's just watch it. So what we need to understand is uh, the radical nature that needs to be expressed in, in, in ousting the sin and the temptation, the potential for sin in our life will seem crazy to the world. That seems like a very crazy moment. If you go on in the film, by one of my favorite movies, if you know in the movie, it's called, it's called Fireproof. It's fantastic. You should own it. I own it. If you need to see it, I'll be happy to share it with you. It's fantastic. Uh, the, the thematic element is marriage and, uh, and how we need to guard. And the, 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 the book that he was referencing was written by his father and it's called The Love Dare and there's, you, it's, it's in print. Um, so it, it might be something that might be of benefit to you. Um, but like it's, it's going to seem, it's going to seem crazy in its, in its full expression, right? But like, what are you doing? What do you mean you're, you're not going to come hang out with us here anymore and do this and that and... You know, like, and, and you got to expect that, that you're going to get criticism. You're going to get, you're going to, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be considered wild and crazy. Like, what, what are you thinking? In 1 John 2, 10, it says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Part of the reason that we don't walk in temptation and sin is because we love our brothers and sisters. Because our disobedience doesn't stop with our sin and our selfishness and the consequences are not our own. They, they manifest themselves in others. And usually 
the ones closest to us, the ones we'd say we love the most, hurt the most. How did Jesus model overcoming temptation? He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. He went to the word, the sword of the spirit. And he, he said, this is your fight. And trust me, this, the, the word of God will render victory over anything if we turn to it. Uh, it, it will quench the, 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 the na- the, our sinful nature that is hungry for that moment and for that addiction or that need. We just gotta, we gotta, we gotta rescue those moments in the word of God and on our knees. We gotta turn to him. So this passage finishes with this in, John 7, in Luke 17. Verse three says, pay attention to yourselves. Before you start looking at others and maybe how they're stumbling or causing stumbling in your lives, pay attention to yourselves. And then, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Can I, can I ask a question? Are, are our brothers and sisters going to sin? Right? So, do, do we need, does, does rebuking need to be a part of the culture of the, of the church? Yes. Now, the catalyst for this to be successful is humility. Humility on the part of the recipient and, and, and the one that is, and, and this needs, if you're, if, if you're being called to rebuke someone, like, look, parents, do you rebuke your children? Mike, do you rebuke your, 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 your girls? Why? Right? And ultimately because you love them and you want what's best for them and you want to show them the right way. Right? Like, like we, we, so we've got to check our motives when we're wanting to rebuke somebody. You know, and make sure that, you know, we're quick to say, listen, me too, but I love you enough to tell you that this is, this is a dark path. This is, this is not for you. You're, you're walking in a, in a manner of hypocrisy. And, and, and ultimately, we're, we're, we're guarding the name of Jesus here. But it says, it says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Well, the question will be, well, you know, how many times? Well, it goes on to say, and if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, not, not demonstrating his, his repentance, just saying, I repent, I'm sorry, please forgive me. He says, you must forgive them. So the, the obvious question for our time remaining is this. Like, so is repentance required for forgiveness? If, if they repent, Right? You must forgive. So then I have to ask this question. Is is repentance required for our forgiveness with the Lord? Right? Believe and repent and believe. Right? It it absolutely is required, right, for us to experience reconciliation. But yet, let me ask this. Was Jesus in a posture to forgive anybody and everybody? If they were willing to turn, to repent and believe? Our posture here is that we should, we should walk in forgiveness. We're told, we're told in, uh, I didn't put it in the text, but we're, we're told in, uh, at the latter part, I think it's, it's Matthew 6, I think it starts in verse 10 or 11, and, and basically Jesus says, um, if you don't forgive, neither will my heavenly Father forgive you. And when, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, if, we're, if we really understand what it's saying, it's saying, Father, forgive me, as I have forgiven those who have trespassed against me. So like, again, we're setting the standard for our own forgiveness, for our own mercy, for our own judgment by the way that we forgive others. And then we're told, as I read in Ephesians 4, 23, or 32, is that, you know, be tenderhearted, be compassionate, be kind, forgiving others as you have been forgiven in Christ. Like that, that's the measure, that's the standard. And, and really what it, what it, what it, demonstrates as i mentioned before is aren't you aren't you so thankful that every time that you go to the cross every time based on his promises his declared intentions that you know that you know that you know that 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 he's going to throw his arms around you throw a party embrace you and reconcile you home like should not if we're the ones that are meant to to demonstrate the father's love that's probably critical that they, they receive. And, and what it's saying here is like, it's not saying seven is the limit. It's another moment where Jesus is saying every time, every single time that someone comes to you and says, I'm sorry, 
Now, here's, here's where, I'll, where I'll close because it's hard. I'm going to tell you that, that the forgiveness, because we're, you know, love keeps no record of wrong. Right? I mean, I mean the kind of forgiveness that we're, we're, we're called to forgive as we've been forgiven is a standard that often is beyond our capacity. Amen? Anybody struggle to forgive some of the pain and hurt and things that have been done to you? Is it, is it ever difficult? And does it feel impossible? And does it continue to rear its ugly head? Right? And, and, uh, and especially when, when, it's, when, it, when it's continual. But here's, here's the thing. We're told at the end of Matthew 18 that unforgiveness is your prison as the one that's unforgiving. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a road to, to, to bitterness and bondage. And so we liberate, right? We do what's been done for us. We liberate others through grace and forgiveness. But this is what we have to understand what Jesus is saying here is if the other person doesn't repent, there's no reconciliation. And that's not on you. That's, that's on them. You know, what does it say? As much as it is up to you, live at peace with one another. Right? So we experience reconciliation with Christ because we come and we, we acknowledge, if you confess your sins, to, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is our promise. This is our Savior. This is our King. Right? And we're called to emulate that in our expression. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Please hear this is that that's not an effort, that's a miracle. And you can't, but he can. You know, everything that Jesus tells us to do, he is fully prepared to help you to get done. But you, gotta, you can't do it in your strength. You can't. Like, I'm not, uh, forgiveness is not something, you can do it to a human standard, but you'll never forgive as you've been forgiven without the help of the Holy Spirit. Without saying, God, you've got to help me to forgive as I've been forgiven. You've got to, sh- and you know how he does that? By showing you how much he loves you and how much he's forgiven you. Because that's what Jesus says in Matthew 18. He says, look, I've, I forgave that, 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 that servant 10,000 talents. That's 10,000 annual wages. Like this is a number that we can't even quantify, right? And he goes out and finds a fellow servant that owes him six months wages, right? That's a big, that's, that's a lot of money. But in, in comparison, it's nothing. It's, it doesn't, it's a blip. And that's the whole point. That when you compare what the, the grace and mercy that's been showered over your life and what you've done to Christ to what they've done to you, it just, it's a blip. And, but if you can't measure it to, that, to, that, to, to, what, to what Christ has done for you, you don't, have a, you don't have a basis for what God is asking you to do. You've experienced grace. And, and here's the most compelling and convicting thing is that to the measure you give, right, it will be measured to you, right? And, and the other compelling thing is, is your, your, your level of forgiveness, your, I had a dear friend recently tell me that, you know, I've, I, I fear that I've lost your trust forever, right? And, and look, I, I have a legacy that is not mine. It's, it is a resume of Christ's presence in my life and I thank God for this, that I don't remember anybody's past sin towards me. I mean, can I ask you something this morning? If you hold on to all that stuff, what's going to happen? Can you feel it almost this morning, like right now? Like, you're not going to get better, you're going to get bitter. Right? You're going to walk through life with so much baggage, and it's just going to be incrementally overwhelming and, and what, what God wants to do is he wants to not just relieve you of your sin debt to him, but your capacity to carry the sin of others. And, and never, liberate, never, never offer the, the gospel through your expression of love through forgiveness. Is your mercies new every morning? Have a, a ministry that Sheba benefits from tremendously. Uh, the, the lady um, said this one morning um, because of the pain and that she had just been, been, been through. She said, I get up every day forgiving everybody that I will meet throughout the entire day before I meet them. I, I just, I say I forgive everybody that could ever do anything to me now before my feelings get in the way. 
because the limiting factor to us offering the kind of grace and, and mercy that, that, that God, God requires of us. I can't put it any other way. You must. And if you don't, I won't. You know, like, I mean, like, is, is that it, you, you're, you're not showing them to me. You're not reflecting what I've done for you. You actually are reflecting what you think I've done for you and the lack of your understanding of, of the magnitude of what I've accomplished on your behalf. And, and part of the struggle in that is, is we just don't think we're that bad. We just don't think that, that our sin is that bad. We, we, we can justify rash, or we just measure it to somebody else's sin and we think, well, I, you know, I didn't hurt Jesus so much on the cross because I didn't do as bad as that, you know. And we have to understand, like, compared to the glory of God, our sin, every single one of us demanded what Christ went through in order to be reconciled. And, uh, and man, yeah, the world will come to know that when we start to live it. And look, did Jesus experience pain and suffering in order for us to be saved, to be forgiven? You don't think it's going to be hard like in, in relationships with others, you don't think you're going to be hurt? And that, and that what he wants you to do is he wants you to be self-sacrificing in that and be, and be willing to say, with his strength and his power, because of what he's done for me, I want to offer this, this, this standard and degree of forgiveness to you. You don't think that that's the best sermon they've ever heard? You see what I'm saying? We've got to live what we believe. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would um, capture our hearts in this moment as we, as we grapple with this, this concept and understand that, that you've done more for us than we could ever um, begin to understand, but, but that you've called us to, uh, to a level of, of, of love that is beyond us as well, but you've put your spirit in us to get it done. And so we pray that we would be people of grace mercy, kindness that would lead to repentance, that, that we would shower those in our lives with so much grace and forgiveness that, that they, would, um, they would understand they're not breaking rules but hearts. Um, Lord, I pray that they would see you in all that we do. So now as we f- sing this last song, Lord, I pray that you would, by your spirit, commission hearts to repentance. I pray that you would commission our, our lives to a, to a greater expression of, of mercy and grace towards others. Uh, Father, I pray that you would let no relationship that is represented here by unforgiveness, any person that is seated in this room, Lord, I pray that you would not let them rest until they surrender that relationship to you and trust you for the power to let that hurt and pain and loss and brokenness go. And, uh, and trust you for the healing work to get it done. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word this day, all that you do, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.